This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, July 28th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. The original sin of U.S. healthcare policy is the income tax, which has given rise to multiple distortions of the U.S. health sector and wasted a great deal of the spending that is done on behalf of Americans' health. Michael Cannon is author of a new piece at the Cato Institute on the subject. We spoke earlier this week. For those not familiar, trying to draw a line from the federal income tax to the provision of healthcare products and services today is not totally clear. And I call it the original sin of U.S. health policy because I want to distinguish this is federal health policy that we're talking about. And because even though the connection is not immediately apparent, and certainly when Congress created the income tax, they didn't intend to wreck the health sector in this country. Nevertheless, you can tie just about every problem in the U.S. health sector to the creation of the income tax and the unintended consequences that followed from it. And what I mean by that is, Back in 1913, when Congress created the income tax, well, they said, okay, if you earn income, we're going to tax it. Well, there's all sorts of ways that employers can pay workers. One of them is with medical care directly or health insurance. And back in 1913, very few employers did that because medicine really wasn't worth much back then. It was as likely to harm you as it was to help you. And it wasn't very expensive because there wasn't much that medicine could do. So almost no one had health insurance. Very few employers offered any sort of health benefit, much less insurance. And so Congress, was, when they created the income tax, was completely silent on whether that form of compensation would be taxable income. That means that the Treasury bureaucrats who, the Treasury Department bureaucrats who implemented the tax had to make that decision themselves. And sometime, the record isn't exactly clear, but sometime in the 1920s, and mind you, employer-sponsored health insurance really didn't hit the scene in the United States until 1929, but sometime in the 1920s, these Treasury Department officials decided, for whatever reason, that group health insurance, that group insurance, any kind of group insurance that employers provide to their workers is not income, but an investment in efficiency or or something like that. And when they did that, they created a wedge, a difference, a tax differential p- between compensation that you receive from your employer in the form of cash, which is subject to the income tax, and compensation you receive in the form of medical care or health insurance that is not subject to the income tax. And that 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 decision, which was an unintended consequence of creating an income tax, then had its own unintended consequences, which were that it completely misshaped and distorted the health sector in ways that has made healthcare more expensive, that has reduced the quality of care, that has made health insurance less secure and reduced the quality of health insurance and left a lot of people who otherwise would be able to afford the medical care they need unable to do so. Broadly speaking, what have been the consequences of that? That is, you you, t- you talked about how it has warped it, but give me some examples of how the U.S. health sector has been warped by this differential. The most obvious way that this tax differential, or what we call the tax exclusion from employer-sponsored health insurance, the most obvious way that that has distorted the health care and health insurance markets is by, in effect, penalizing you unless you let your employer control some 
portion of your income and use it to purchase a health insurance policy that is tied to your job and that disappears when your job does. So if you start working for an employer and stay with that employer until the day you die, then you will have seamless health insurance that will take you from hiring your higher date to, to the grave. But that wasn't really the case for most of the 20th century, and it certainly isn't the case now. And so if you start working for an employer, you enroll in an employer health plan, and then you change jobs, you lose that health insurance plan. If you get so sick you can't work anymore, you lose that health insurance plan. If your employer decides to stop offering health insurance, if your employer closes the plan, term eliminates your job, you get fired. Or if you turn age 65 and retire, you lose your health insurance. And none of these are very good reasons for losing your health insurance. And oftentimes what would happen is while you're enrolled in that employer plan, you might develop an expensive medical condition. If you then lose your health insurance, you basically can't buy health insurance on the on what we call the individual market anymore because you have uh, what sh sh your medical condition, which should have been an insured condition and would be if the government had never created this, in effect, tax penalty if you buy insurance that stays with you from job to job. That medical condition that should have and would have been an insured condition becomes an uninsurable pre-existing condition. And now you can't get health insurance. So that is the most obvious way that the tax exclusion has distorted the health sector. And that has had all sorts of consequences, but there are other ways too. It has driven up the price of medical care and of health insurance. It has reduced the quality of health insurance and medical care in innumerable ways. So there have been, this is well, this is reasonably well understood by economists that this has occurred and is a distorting of the healthcare sector. Reasonably well understood. Economists uniformly oppose the exclusion. They think it's a terrible idea. And yet I think that even, even though most economists hold that view, they still don't understand just how damaging the exclusion has been. So there have been efforts to either create an equal exclusion for individuals who might want to participate in the buying insurance on their own. There have been efforts to eliminate the exclusion for employers, thus sort of equaling the leveling the playing field. Uh, as, as far as policy reforms go, the only one that I can think of that has actually occurred and is maybe bringing a little more rationality to pricing and healthcare and that sort of thing is the health savings account. Yeah. So there are three basic ways of getting rid of the, this tax distortion, or at least minimizing the distortion. One is you get rid of the income tax and the payroll tax at this point. There's an exclusion against the payroll tax as well, but that came in 1935 and 1965. And that would, that would eliminate this problem. You can also eliminate just the exclusion which means that the government would then tax employer-sponsored health insurance. It would be subject to the income and the payroll taxes. And that, I think, would be an improvement over what we have right now, even though it would be a tax increase, even though it would bring more revenue into the federal treasury. We're running huge deficits, so it would, wouldn't actually increase the amount of or the share of the economy the government controls, it, it, it would just force current generations to pay for current government spending. And so I think that would be better than what we've got right now. But both of those options are largely politically infeasible. In fact, Congress tried to just 
tax a part of employer-sponsored health insurance. As part of Obamacare, they had this thing called the Cadillac tax, and employers hated that so much they lobbied Congress, and Congress repealed that on a bipartisan basis. The one way to try to reduce the distortions that the exclusion creates that has proven politically durable is unfortunately to expand the exclusion so that it applies also to funds that the worker controls. And here we are talking about flexible spending accounts, which date back to the 1970s, health reimbursement arrangements, which date back to the early noughties, the about 20 years ago, and health savings accounts, which also date back to uh, really 1996. The precursor of health savings accounts was medical savings accounts. They became health savings accounts in 2003. What all of these do, and I think what HSA's health savings accounts do best, is they eliminate the the penalty that the tax code imposes on workers controlling their own healthcare dollars. Health savings accounts allow you to take money from your employer or just put money in an HSA yourself, and that money receives the same tax treatment as the money that your employer would spend on health insurance for you. And so there's no more penalty, uh, at least as far as those funds are concerned, on individual control of your health care decisions. And I think the way to the best politically feasible way to reform the exclusion writ large, because HSAs have only given workers control over about 4% of the money that uh, uh, that they're, 4% of the portion of their compensation that employers control and use to purchase their health health insurance. The, the best politically feasible way to reform the exclusion, let workers control that trillion dollars of their earnings that employers now control, is to expand health savings accounts so that a worker could take all $16,000 that their employer spends on their health insurance as cash income, put it into a health savings account without any tax consequences. So the entire that entire $16,000 deposit, or maybe more, would be tax-free. That, I think, is what you need to do to eliminate the worst distortion that the exclusion creates, which is a the, pen- the penalty it creates on workers controlling their own healthcare dollars and decisions. Unfortunately, well, if you expand health savings accounts the right way, it doesn't eliminate the exclusion, but it can reduce the distortions the exclusion creates, and it can be a stepping stone toward fundamental tax reforms that completely eliminate this distortion. So repeal the income tax, repeal the 16th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Still the first best option. Okay. Fair enough. I always try to get the first best option on the table because, as you know, at the Cato Institute, we put the best option on the table and then say, but if you're not going to do that. So H- large HSAs, this is the this is the proposal that, that you have advanced over years here at the Cato Institute for workers. I mean, what psychologically, at least, what does that mean? Like you, you actually see the money, it goes into account, you control the account. That sounds like it would have a massive upside. Workers don't now realize that the money that their employers are spending on health insurance is actually part of their income. So if you have the average employer-sponsored family plan, your employer is spending $16,000 on that plan for you. That's your earnings. Economists, they agree on anything. They agree that that is the workers' earnings, and if the employer were not buying your health insurance, they would have to give you that $16,000 as cash or some other form of compensation. 
And so the upside of health savings accounts, among the many upsides of large health savings accounts for workers is that if you replace the exclusion for employer paid premiums with an exclusion for health savings account contributions, then what's going to happen immediately is employers are going to give that $16,000 to workers. They're going to get to control a, a huge part of their earnings that they didn't get to control before. And they're going to get to control their health decisions in a way they didn't before. They're going to be able to stay with their employer plan if they want to do that. And their employer wants to do that. But they don't have to. They could buy health insurance that stays with them from job to job, that covers them all the way to age 65 or even beyond age 65. Because those sorts of policies were available even before Congress enacted Medicare. And it'll be, they can buy the kind of insurance, there are some regulations that stand in the way, but there's reason to believe that they'd be able to buy the kind of insurance that suits their needs rather than the needs of the politicians and the special interests who have lobbied for so much regulation on health insurance at both the federal and state levels. It would, and, and, and maybe the biggest change that patients would see is that prices would come down medical prices would come down because there's ample, there's plenty of research to show that when people are controlling their own healthcare dollars and they see the savings from shopping around, they do shop around, they demand price information, they get price information, and they change their behavior in ways that changes healthcare providers' behavior, that causes healthcare providers to reduce prices. They'll also purchase less comprehensive health insurance, which brings down the price of health insurance and makes them, you know, even also makes them cost conscious. And so health insurance premiums would come down as well, or at least not grow as rapidly as they have been growing uh, for the past hundred years. And, and contrast that with our current situation where you, a new person at a job, you're essentially handed a packet of information. This is your health insurance. And- the incentive to investigate or nitpick portions of it basically doesn't exist. For a number of reasons. One of them is that if you wanted to go buy health insurance on your own, first of all, your employer is not going to change the health benefits based on your needs unless you're the CEO or maybe the CEO's spouse. And if you want to go out and buy health insurance on your own, not only do you have to pay for it with after-tax dollars, as opposed to pre-tax dollars, which is you can purchase your employer plan with pre-tax dollars, but that $16,000 that your employer is paying toward your employer plan, you don't get to take that onto the market. Employers don't provide that $16,000 to workers if they decide to go out and buy insurance on the individual market. So in addition to a tax penalty, there's also a pay cut involved if you want to control your own healthcare decisions. All of these are unintended consequences of Congress creating the income tax and not being able to predict what was going to happen in the markets for medical care and health insurance and, and labor markets. And we've got we've had generation after generation of workers suffering high cost, low quality medical care and health insurance as a result. Michael Cannon is author of The Original Sin of U.S. Health Policy. We spoke earlier this week. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.